Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. This is a live online discussion of ancient yogic texts amongst meditation practitioners in the Shambhavananda yoga tradition. My name is Acharya Satyam, the resident teacher at Konalani Yoga Ashram in Hawaii, and I welcome you with love and respect. Hey everyone, uh, Shiva Sutra 3.33 is um, really useful, really practical. It's something you're going to be able to use tomorrow, the next day, tonight maybe. It actually has a lot of uh, tie-ins to um, like uh, psych- psychology tie-ins, specifically to the concepts of emotional intelligence. And it's been really um, fun to actually see those two sciences come together you know the ancient sciences of yoga and some of the newer sciences of emotional intelligence and uh, it's been really good for me in my life and i hope it will be for you but first let's start by uh pronouncing it it's a mouthful uh it's a huge long word so i broke it down on the right side uh or in the middle of your screen um to the the separate actual words that are in the word sanskrit just puts them all together you know so if you can see what's in the middle there, we can start by pronouncing that together. And it's the same, it's on the screen, on the other side, here we go. Sukha, dukkha, yorba, hirma, nanam. Sukha, dukkha, yorba, hirma, nanam. So then we can just play with it, you know, um, just sort of have fun quietly to yourself, just trying to say the whole word or the whole phrase. Sukha dukkha yorba nir nananam. Sukha dukkha yorba hir nananam. All right, and so the translation, as you can see, but I'll read it for us. The yogi experiences their joy and their sadness just like an object with this consciousness separate from their being. All right, I'd like to start unpacking this sutra with a little scientific experiment that was done not too long ago at the University of California at Los Angeles. This is sort of the science times I was telling you about. All right, in this experiment, um, they asked four groups of people who were afraid of spiders to approach a tarantula. So these four groups of people were supposed to use different sort of techniques um, to to help them cope. They were literally told to try to walk as close to the spider as they can, and if they could, try to touch it. And I'm like, anyway, that was that was in the study numerous times that they were supposed to try to touch it. One group uh, sort of took the the common approach to saying um, they were literally supposed to say to themselves. Um, the spider's in a cage and can't hurt me. So, you know, I don't need to be afraid. Okay, sort of like a, you know, a self pep talk. They were supposed to say that as they approach it, the spider's in a cage, it's not gonna hurt me. I don't have to be afraid. They just kept approaching it and they saw how close they could get and they were measuring uh, literally the sweat on their palms and their heart rate and their breath rate the whole time. Group two, 
um, was instructed to say something totally, totally irrelevant as they approach the spider, just sort of talk nonsense, just jibber jabber, you know, nonsense. That was group two. Group three was instructed to say nothing at all. Don't say anything, just deal with it as you walk towards that spider. And group four was instructed to basically say however they felt as they approached the spider. So for example, uh, one person said, I am scared of that huge hairy tarantula. Like they're just supposed to vocalize their feelings, right? So how they felt their feelings. So that was group four. And the, the, this whole experiment was, was, you know, being made to see if that last group, if that really made a difference. And it did. Uh, the study concluded that the group that labeled their fear of the spider performed far better than the other groups. They got closer to the spider. They were less emotionally aroused and their hands were sweating significantly less, which I guess was a big indicator in this study. So the conclusion was that recognizing and naming your emotions um, can sort of defang these fearful emotions. Um, and that's a pretty cool study. And that is, you know, there's a lot of science out there, especially right now, um, since the advent of emotional intelligence with being able to name how you're feeling. And it's, you know, it's pretty powerful. Um, and so, I found this sutra to be incredibly similar to that practice and just as helpful, um, at least in the beginning stages um, of, of what they were talking about. We're going to go even a little further. Um, that instead of directly identifying with how I'm feeling at any given time, um, my ability to just name it uh, gave me some space. It really did. It really significantly helped. The ability to just be a little bit objective instead of saying, Instead of just being the emotion, just I am feeling this, uh, gave that little bit of space to insert my practice. Um, so with that, we're going to read the very beginning of the sutra. Um, hey, Nirmaya, you were here so early. I'd love to reward you with reading the yellow portion. And you'll have to unmute. Yeah. Okay. Good, I don't have my glasses, but anyway, such a yogi experiences the state of pleasure. Um, sorry, without my glasses, I can't see that. And pain with this consciousness, not I consciousness. For example, he does not experience joy thinking, I am joyous, and sadness thinking, I am sad. Rather, he experienced this is sadness and this is joy just as an ordinary person experiences external objects in his daily life, he experienced this consciousness, not I consciousness, thinking this is a, what? This is a root for this is a, oh, I see, this is a pot or this is a bottle. So this yogi experiences his joy and sadness, just like an object separate from his being. I love this. Yeah, all right. Yes. Okay, was that the end? Yeah, that was it. And um, oh. a lot of times people need a second to just sort of reread it. So let's give them a second. But please, uh, I'd love to hear why you love this in just a moment. So everybody you can scan through that on your own. I think that last sentence really summarizes it a lot. And 
in your mind, like when you start us up, what, what, what do you love about this? Well, I love that it separates from being a sad person or being a, you know, to have an awareness of it. And I think Baba talked about this the other night. Um, it, it just feels like being aware of what you're feeling. We always are trying to push these things away. No, this isn't good to be sad, you know, whatever, but to just be be in that and without um, judging it. It's just like, to me, wonderful. Mm -hmm. I could do that. Absolutely. And I think that last sentiment that you said, like, I can do that is probably like the most powerful part of this. Um, for me, this, this practice was, it was like a, it was like getting a, a foot in the door. Um, when the emotion is sort of, it feels like it closes your heart, it closes you off. If it's, you know, if it's a negative one, we can talk about the pleasurable ones later, but and then it's like, you don't really know where to start. And it's like this little action of just seeing it objectively for a moment, opens it a crack and it just gets your foot in the door, you know? And then from that foot in the door, you can just, you can start to breathe again. And then it might happen again. It, that's what happens to me. And then you just do it again and you get your foot back in the door and you breathe again. I found it to be it just, you know how our mind is so cyclical then, well, this has to be cyclical too, to match the, the, the patterning of our mind. So yeah, it separates um, how Lakshman Ju said it. He was like, there's uh, this consciousness, meaning uh, he was saying that where you can objectively say like this is instead of just being the thing every time. So we're sort of approaching, Lakshman Ju sort of coins a lot of uh, phrases you know, we might not see this consciousness in like another teacher's thing. I don't think it's like an actual thing called this consciousness, but he's, you know, he's a teacher. So he's trying to help his students understand this. So I don't have the, the text on the screen for us. So I'm just going to read this one, but Patanjali from 2000 years ago, the yoga sutras, which, you know, a lot more widely read, um, has a real strikingly similar teaching um, where he says, I'll have to read this one. It says, the seed of attachment is pleasure. The seed of aversion is pain. The enlightened practitioner realizes that the endless cycle of avoiding pain and seeking pleasure is a self-propagating result of our past impressions. And so both pain and pleasure, he says, must be subjected to the process of introspection and detachment. So when you really enjoy something, there's a little seed that's planted where it's like, you know, the next time somebody mentions that you're going to light up, you're going to sort of go after it. You know, when you don't enjoy something, the next time somebody mentions it, you're going to literally like take a step back and be like, um, I'm not volunteering for that. Um, and all Patanjali is saying in the sutras are simply that, um, that these experiences that we're having, the pain and pleasure, aren't necessarily the thing that's happening in the moment isn't necessarily the thing really causing you pain and pleasure. It's actually just sort of sparking these samskaras. So don't always assume that in this moment, that thing is actually going to cause you pain or pleasure because you're actually responding to it from your patterns. So 
take a moment to separate a little bit and you'll actually see what's happening in the moment. That uh, University of California study went on to say that um, when we're afraid or stressed, our brain can only respond based off of previously stored patterns of behavior. Yeah, I love hearing that. Oh, yeah, but that is rarely the best possible reaction, it said, unless you're really reacting to a life or death situation. So, for example, you hear a tree branch cracking, you just run away from the tree, you just run from the sound. And that's actually a really great evolutionary habit to just be able to like respond without thinking to this situation, you know, um, the, in the article, it was like, if you, in evolutionarily, if you saw a tiger, you should just run and not really think about all your options. Um, and so we need that way of responding to survive. It's, it's necessary, but the problem occurs when the majority of your day is spent responding in that similar fashion so that you're actually uh, creating a life, uh, you're perpetuating, as Patanjali put it, a life based off of some scars. All the things you're doing and creating in your life are literally based off of these previous patterns, unless you do what we're talking about in the sutra, you know, use your practice in that moment. So that's our work. You know, um, it's not a matter of, a, a, of rejecting anything, um, you know, oh, I'm experiencing pleasure, reject it. You know, it's not, it can't be that simple. It's just a matter of, uh, oh, I'm experiencing pain and pleasure, like something's happening right now. You know, what's interesting is that the sutra sort of teaches that um, the very fact that you're experiencing pain and pleasure means you're sort of in the soup. Does that make sense? Just the very fact that you're experiencing it means you're probably hooked you know you're probably in it right then and so pain and pleasure actually become um reminders to practice does that make sense thought that was pretty interesting so let's read another um section let's see yeah Oh, okay. Um, Bob, do you want to just read that little pink section? And I'll go ahead and highlight the rest of the, the stuff that's in between too. Sure. If he were to experience his nature as individual being, then he would become sad and happy. The present sutra is not concerned only with pleasure and pain. Here, pleasure and pain is a metaphor for everything that exists in the world. Thanks, Bob. So the first half is saying it's the very nature of it when you're experiencing pleasure and pain is that you have begun to identify. You're identifying more with your samskaras than reality. That was just sort of backing up that last point. And then the next part of the paragraph is trying to tell us you know, don't be fooled by the words pleasure and pain. Uh, we're, we're just talking about like the myriad of experiences that we're having all day. It's very rare that I will have an experience that I call pleasure. Like you, when you're having some 
you're just most of your days spent in some in between. You're very rarely like, I'm in pain right now. That's pretty rare. You know, it happens. Uh, but you're usually somewhere in between. So, um, Lakshmanju slash, you know, uh, the sutras are, are telling us here to like not stop at those terms. Don't wait to apply your practice. This applies to every experience you're having. And then I uh, wanted to finish with this one last pink section here. And I apologize. Kayla, are you able to read from your um, little setup there? You can just read that that paragraph on top can, of me. Can you hear me? Yeah, really good. Okay. Although in their daily lives, they experience pleasure and pain, these experiences do not affect them at all. There is no apprehension that pain and pleasure will rise in them because the cause of the rise of pain and pleasure is individuality and they have destroyed individuality. They are apart from that. And so in the experience of pleasure and pain, they experience the real state of supreme beatitude, supreme bliss, ananda, which is actually more than bliss, pratyabhijna. Well read, thank you. So you see again there that Pleasure and pain is actually arises from attachment, you know? So as you work and grow as a yogi, you just naturally rise above a lot of these hooks. And that's, it's talking about like the enlightened practitioner a lot of the time in here. But nonetheless, we're all, we're all able to learn from this. But that last part was pretty exciting. And that's really the, fo the focal point of our work is that if we learn how to work with pleasure and pain, Myriad of experiences that exist between them. Um, with our practice, we don't experience pleasure and pain. What do we experience? Anyone? There's that really fun word. Supreme, is it beatitude? I thought, yeah. Beatitude or supreme bliss. That's what we experience if you work with it. So, you know, Babaji has given us so many uh, examples of this. You know, uh, one of the ones that I, you know, have heard so many times and, and it works, you know, every time is when he talks about Rudy eating ice cream, right? Rudy would take a bite of ice cream. He would enjoy the ice cream so much. He would use that pleasure. And then he would open his heart from there. He would use that experience and then he would go to the source of it in his heart and Babaji said he would enjoy the ice cream more than anybody in the room, you know, that it was like blissful. And it wasn't because he was focused on the ice cream, but it's because he was using it, using his practice in that moment. Or even just this Monday, Babaji said, you know, he quoted the Vigyana Bhairava when he said, when you meet an old friend for the first time in a long time and you give them that hug and your heart's just wide open, you know, that's the time to breathe into your heart. That's the time to, to feel the source. He says, because, you know, eventually, you know, you'll realize why you haven't seen him for so long because you're different people, you know, but so use that moment wisely. So those are pleasurable moments. 
to be perfectly honest, it's easier to start using this practice in the less pleasurable moments. Uh, we always have a little more motivation, I think, in those moments to use it. And I think naming your emotion is a wonderful way to start. It helped me a lot. Um, it was sort of a new thing for me. Uh, I had heard about it before, but when I saw it tied to the sutras, I finally like decided, oh, there's some merit there because they sort of, you know, believe in the sutras a lot. And, uh, and so that was a wonderful start. And, but we don't have to stop there. You know, I'm feeling frustrated right now. You know, it might be an example of something that might come up for you. And that will open the door. That will open the door. And then that I am aspect. I am. I am. When you say I am, you know, it's a reflective statement. You're really pulling your attention. You're looking here instead of there. And so I am feeling frustrated. I am. I am. You know, and you just keep feeling the I and the am of it. And it keeps pulling you back into like your direct experience of the present, which is not your samskaras. And that is where the practice, you know, really begins. So, the question always is to practice or to discuss. What do you think, Rabaya? It's 20, so we've got 40 minutes. Okay, all right, guys, we're going to discuss before we practice. But we're definitely going to practice. Um, Jaya, Gita, Anju, Jatila, welcome. Um, so let's do a free write. Oh, not a lot of pens and papers in this room. Um, let's do a free write anyway. We'll get it. Uh, so uh, we'll take a couple minutes and reflect a little bit. Um, for those of you without pen and paper, I'll actually instruct you on a special free writing exercise when you don't have pen and paper. Um, the free write can just be about your experience of using your practice um, in these moments of pleasure and pain or the myriad in between, you know, that occupies our life. And um, we'll just take a couple minutes to allow ourselves to sort of uh, open that door. Where, where do you connect with this? Have you named emotions? Do you do this? Do you breathe into that pleasure, that ice cream sundae? All right, so a couple minutes.
You can just allow yourself to wrap up what you're writing. All right, so this is a topic that everybody can relate to. Um, can I get a, a, a volunteer to just sort of spark the conversation? Bob, go for it. All right. And then Yogita, you'll be next. I thought about what you said about uh, uh, pain being more of a, uh, a motivator for you. And for myself, I, I tend to, to be able to see joy not as something to clutch onto, but to see it as something that is there. And I always remind myself, hey, it's always there when you look for it. So, you know, it's like this object. Anytime you want to be happy, all you have to do is go pick up that object and uh, and you'll, you'll see it's always there. Mm -hmm. um, I might not want to go pick up pain, uh, <laughs> but, but, but it's good to know that you can always go pick up joy if, uh, if you uh, are in so inclined. Bob, thank you for bringing that up. I think that's a really valuable perspective because we spend a lot of time, you know, cultivating joy, right? Bodhicitta, it's like one of the four. Um, and uh, and I, I did contemplate that in relation to the sutra because I was like, well, isn't that sort of the opposite? And I realized, no, like when you cultivate joy without an object, you're doing the exact thing that you can hopefully do when joy hits you can find it inside without the object. So the cultivation of joy on a regular basis, um, you know, for its own sake, like you're describing, uh, actually prepares us to do this work. So thanks for bringing that up. It's cool to see joy as an object you can go pick up that's actually really interesting and I wanna try it. Yogita, you had your hand up. Yeah. I reach inside, um, more during pain than joy. This past January, when I was riding in the ambulance to the hospital because I fell and I was in so much pain, I couldn't bear it. So I started doing mantra and re reaching beyond the pain and I could actually feel bliss beyond the pain. I still felt the pain, but I could feel the energy and it, it helped me get through it. <laughs> um, that's and they, they don't mind. You can do mantra out loud in the ambulance. They don't, they like it. Yogita, <laughs> thank you. You got everybody smiling in the room here. Oh, Yogita, are you there? I think you might have pressed the wrong button. You're probably still there. Um, yeah, I, I'm oh, still here. Cool. Your video's gone, but we hear you. Oh, I pressed the wrong thing. Okay, here. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's about as good as it gets, you know, the idea of being in pain, surrendering and finding bliss. I mean, that there's nothing, no better affirmation of our practice than that experience. So. But I need to remember to do it. Enjoy. Enjoy. I'm just enjoying it. I don't think about reaching inside. So, yeah. Totally. I know. How to remember to enjoy. Totally hear you. Anyone, before we go on to the next person, um, anyone want to comment on remembering during joy? Is that something that anybody here has like, had success with? Oh, Anjali. Yeah, go for it. 
um, but I was going to say, like, kind of, kind of to what you're both talking about. Um, I think the thing that lets me experience both of those things, I've um, been playing with that a lot um, in this past year, and it, it's that like witnessing too, of being able to be like, okay, I'm experiencing something, but I'm not it, whether it be pleasurable, painful, anything in between. And to kind of the question for me always comes up of like, well, if I'm not these things, what am I? And it really helps to like sink me in regardless of like my mental um, attachment or running away of whether it be joy or, or pain or, you know, either side of that sort of spectrum to kind of go like, okay, I'm not these things. So it makes me curious about what I am. Um, to get that sort of big picture view and sink into that like ability to kind of what you were talking about, Bob, to kind of grab onto the joy um, and step back from like the things here and really kind of force me to go inside and see what's actually happening below the surface of all that. That sounds like a practice you can do like in just and like almost like a just a normal setting, like neither not not the high or the low. Is that right? Is that or do you use that sort of during the highs and the lows as well? I think kind of like any time. I just like um, I just found yeah like that witness practice like really useful because you can do it without anybody noticing, which is really nice. So if you're in a situation with other people sort of around, mm -hmm. you can kind of like do that work inside and and I think it works well like outside of the the pendulum I guess of the highs and lows like you were saying like you can be somewhere in the middle and be experiencing all at once and still use any of that really to kind of like sink within and be you know kind of ask yourself that question of like who am I and start taking stock of and taking a look around inside instead of externally. Thanks, Anju. And um, just to the, on a technical note, I apologize, I didn't remove the spotlight earlier. And uh, I realized you probably couldn't see Anju, Yogita, or Bob there, but you could hear them. So my bad. I always want you to be able to see each other. Hopefully you're even in gallery view by now. You can see everybody. But yeah, we have a great uh, in, you know, the fact that we practice this uh, in, in and of itself uh, means that we're just ripe right for this practice. And the minute we want to apply it, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. It's just a matter of whether we want to apply it. Anyone else? I see a hand. All right, cool. Um, yeah, why don't you, why don't you pull this up and go hold it in front <laughs> Yeah, just sort of, and I'll get my stuff on the screen. It's okay, you know, they're all in front of the camera. You're good. All right. Nice to get closer to the mic. That's idle. I oh. talk loudly. Okay. <laughs> um, well, so you asked about anyone specifically thinking of joy and seeing joy is more, mm. you know, ever the object and bring it inside. And um, I feel fortunate because I, it was years ago and I feel like Baba gave 
a practice similar to this to someone who was sitting in the back of a temple and it was one of the programs where there were kids and they were leaving and mm -hmm. I can't remember who it was but the person was just like so filled with joy at watching the kids that they just started crying you know like the kids were just so pure and I feel like kids are so good for that like you can see them experience life so purely mm -hmm. um so that that's what came up for me was like it's not actually things that are happening to me but I get to watch my kids and I see them experiencing pure joy so then it reminds me to like take that breath and find it in myself so I get to cheat everybody can hear that I hope it's good cool thanks okay, so Yeah, the the idea that kids can almost experience this joy so profusely almost overflows out of them and that we can look at them and smile and it's almost like you're giving this gift and then all we have to do. What's really neat about that is you're it's actually already sort of detached, huh? You're already sort of watching the joy. So it's almost easier to like offer it up. It's almost like not yours. Yeah, that's cool. All right, Baya. Man, I know. Good for me. I wasn't going to say anything, but then mine was sort of similar to Shakti's. Who inspired me? Um, my word was compassion because I feel like in the moments when I'm able to like identify what I'm going through, it's almost like what Dharma said like months ago in a. Um, in one of these classes, like we're parenting ourselves. And it's like, I can see like, you're not a bad person, Abaya. You're just actually really tired right now. But like when I'm just in the emotion, that doesn't exist. And having that little bit of space helps me feel like kind of what Shakti was saying, like I'm observing it in this like person that I love and I want to take care of. And it helps me be like, you should have chocolate or go meditate or relax tonight. Mm -hmm. But I won't do any of those things until I'm able to actually get space from whatever I'm feeling. What gives you that? How do you, you know, is there any consistent like means of generating that space? I think I know a lot of my patterns. Mm -hmm. And so when I feel that familiar pattern it's almost like a red flag or a trigger where it's like oh here you go and it allows me to like say like what's really going on here you know you don't actually want to say that thing that you just said like why you know that's really helpful thanks Oh, we have another one here. Um, just, uh, uh, I'm just, I was thinking about how in Spanda Karka class the other week, I don't know when it was exactly, but we were talking about like really intense emotions and how if you're like 
really joyful or like really afraid that you're like closer to like breaking through. Maybe Kayla remembers she was in class too. Bob probably was. Um, but, and I've had that experience with just being like really nervous about like a presentation or something. And like the anxiety is so high and you're like, you know that it's not helpful to be anxious. So it's like, you can either be super anxious or just like surrender, you know? And I don't know, just to use those like intense moments. I'm sure the text says it better. <laughs> no, I'm dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that was why the text went so far as to say that the very fact that you're experiencing things means you're hooked. And when you have those intense emotions, it almost makes you realize like something's happening. And it's like, it, you, you can't miss that, that cue. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. Babaji often says like he works better under extreme duress or whatever, however he puts it, you know, like he works better and it's harder to almost generate that work and when things just feel sort of peachy. All right, well, um, speaking of things feeling peachy and trying to find a way to work, that's sort of where we're at, huh? So we're gonna meditate. Um, thanks for all the comments. Okay, I have one little yeah, thing please, to say. Please, go ahead. Um, so my computer just, shut down and I couldn't get in and I just started to practice okay annoyance <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't get all frustrated I just kind of and then Jatila sent me an invite and I got back in but I don't know what I thought oh this is funny it gives me an opportunity <laughs> to practice That's so it. thank you yeah That's it. I know yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for it, you know, and I, I remember hearing about that practice from, from an emotional intelligence book, because Faith had, had us actually read books on emotional intelligence to be better managers, um, so it was like, it was in my repertoire, but I wasn't using it, because I, you know, you're a little skeptical, but then when the suit just said it, I was like, all right, it's time, and it worked real quickly, just like it did for you. And thanks for chiming in to uh, spur us on there for our practice. So feel free to adjust your seat. We'll meditate for about 20 minutes. And signal to me if the, if the volume's ever not quite enough for you, because sometimes it can be a little quieter when you're teaching meditation, but let me know. And so, of course, how we can begin this practice after or during the establishment of the seat, um, let the eyes close and check in with yourself in a really frank and simple way, how you're feeling. And then remember, our work we might not all have an incredible emotional vocabulary. Um, that's not actually the point. Your emotional vocabulary can be pretty simple because we're just trying to get the ball rolling on the I am inward thing. 
but it starts with you actually acknowledging how you're feeling. And then when you acknowledge how you're feeling, you feel that little bit of space immediately. It's, it's, it's just like it pops right there. And you just breathe into that space, into that space of the heart that is generated by the simple inward turn of I am feeling. And then just try it again. You know, we're going to transition into more of a foundational practice in a moment, but you're probably feeling similar. But just the acknowledgement turns your gaze. And then breathe into that slightly open doorway to the heart. At our core, we are bliss. Our mind can only know this as something like joy. But take your next few breaths. And just try to breathe into that space of the heart. And imagine there's something more than you can see there. There's clouds there. That's our karma. That's just the way it is. But there's a sun behind it. And as you breathe in and out, you can repeat the mantra, hum sa. The ultimate emotional reflective device. I am that. Feel for that space behind the clouds as you repeat the mantra. Don't try to see the sun directly. Don't necessarily waste your energy. Put your energy into the practice, the mantra, the breath. Just try to feel the sun. This isn't rejecting how you feel right now. It's just using the reflective part of that to push our attention inwards.
towards its source. We all know what a sun looks like behind the clouds, that diffused light, that brightness. It's not rejecting how you feel to slightly smile. It's actually pointing you in the direction of your true nature, bliss. Just keep trying to warm yourself by the fire of your heart. Let that space in the center of the chest grow with your awareness, with your mantra. Keep it simple, just as simple as feeling sunlight and feel it. Putting your hands in front of the fire and feeling the warmth and focusing on the warmth. It's simple, but you have to do it. space in the heart, feel that space.
mind can't know bliss. The mind can't know warmth. But you can feel it. Insert emotion here. Yes, we are that. That's true. Those are the clouds. Those are the thoughts. They're not going to stop. The MVP hum sound. And you feel the warmth in your heart grow. You're that too. And you're actually way more of that. and cycles and so your practice has to cycle through a lot you're not done there's only more momentum so keep building your inward momentum
feel yourself in this separateness. This observation of space and the witness that's cultivated. Well, this part of you keep growing. Let it be bigger. It's okay to check back in with your emotions. You might feel differently. Do it. Insert your practice. You can allow the eyes to open slowly, keeping your gaze low. And the beauty of this particular practice is that no matter how you feel, you have a starting point. No matter how you feel. You can even feel like right now, like, oh, I'm not, not feeling it as deeply. There you go, that's your starting point. Let me just feel the reflective moment of that statement. So, it's in your court. Uh, that's a great point. Yeah. Like, that's a time when you're a little bit more paying attention to that moment. Uh, so, you don't want to like blow the energy kind of so you actually practice. Yeah.